I've written a book, a memoir. Well, really a business memoir that follows me through my challenging life in Des Moines, Iowa with all the twists and turns and inflection points to current day pandemic time. It will be published this year, so please go to natashamiller.co and sign up on my mailing list so you're the first to know when it's available. I'm also forming a launch team, so in case you'd like to be involved, I'll send you details about that too. First time around of PPP, you really had to be almost crazy not to take it. We didn't know what was going to happen to the world. Everything was entirely unpredictable, and there was this pile of free money sitting there. Welcome to Fascinating Entrepreneurs. How do people end up becoming an entrepreneur? How do they scale and grow their businesses? How do they plan for profit? Are they in it for life, or are they building to exit? These and a myriad of other topics will be discussed to pull back the veil on the wizardry of successful and fascinating entrepreneurs. I'm putting the finishing touches on a digital course for entrepreneurs to learn how to scale and grow their companies and find more profit in their current revenue. To download the free profit finder guide that I've created, and also to put yourself on the wait list for the course, go to natashamiller.co. Hello, this is Ami Kassar of Multifunding and Inc. Magazine columnist. You've got to check out the super awesome rad fascinating entrepreneur podcast. I'm excited to be a guest. Ami Kassar is the founder and CEO of Multifunding LLC. They're a consulting firm that specializes in helping business owners across the U.S. develop creative, cost-saving alternatives for their business debt needs and structure. Ami has advised the White House, the Treasury Department, and the Federal Reserve Bank, and he writes a weekly column for Inc.com. In this episode, we'll hear from him about the new PPP that's becoming available and how you can take advantage of the SBA loans right now. Now let's get right into it. My path to entrepreneurship was likely around our dinner table. I'm a child of immigrants. I came to the United States when I was eight and I think was blessed and fortunate to be surrounded in a community of immigrants who were new to this country and figuring it out and how to make it happen. And I think a lot of my basic core lessons came from all those experiences. So as a young person, did you see yourself as someone who would become an entrepreneur or did you have times where you're like, oh, I'm going to be working for such and such? Well, I think my first career aspiration was I thought it'd be really cool to be a flight attendant because I could go around the world and see things. I thought that would be neat. And at some point I thought maybe about politics, but at some point it became pretty clear to me that I had a passion for business and new things and ideas and innovation and all that. I wonder if entrepreneurs are born or can they be made? So if you didn't have that feeling as a youngster, nine plus, that you knew that you had the ability to be an entrepreneur, my question of all the people on the show is, did they have it within them or was it able to be bought? I don't think think it's necessary (laughs) in a gene, but I do think it's part of the environment that you grow up in. Yes, it can be. What you're exposed to. 
there are always anomalies to that. Sometimes people react to the environments they grow in. I'm sure there's some people who grew up with extremely conservative, very corporate type parents who absolutely methodically believed in working for the man and they reacted to that. So it just depends. So when I met you, I met you, let me think, at the Fast Growth Tour with Inc. Magazine in San Francisco. I also met your brother, which was kind of cool. And you were a speaker and you have a book called The Growth Dilemma. So I want to know, before we get into the nitty gritty of the wonderful PPP coming in, who should buy this book and what will they take away from the content? The book seems like 50 years ago in, in pandemic time zones. The book is really about the idea, I think we each have to make a decision about how big we want to grow and how fast and how much risk we want to take at different times. I always think you should always test your assumptions. The book tries to get you to test your assumptions about that. So the core question is, if you suddenly had a million dollars show up in your bank account, what would you do with it? And where would you invest it? And how much would you put in your business? Or how much would you put in a mutual fund? And then what do those decisions tell you about either what you're not doing in your business or and why not, or how much you believe in your business, et cetera. Yeah. I think so many people need that, especially like I could have used that long ago. Like I started 20 years ago and I didn't ask any of those questions. One of the questions that was asked of me on March 1st, which is a funny date, if you take it into context of last year from an advisor. And I said, well, I want to take my company to $20 million in revenue. And he was like, well, do you really? Because with that comes more employees, more problems, more lawsuits. And I thought, oh, hadn't thought about the lawsuit part. It's just part of the potential. So I think that book, first of all, it's something that you created out of your entrepreneurial journey and out of your core business, multi-funding. And it's a book for sale. It's also a book that can put you in the forefront as an expert. And for this podcast, the listeners are entrepreneurs of varying degrees, but also people that want to be an entrepreneur. So I always like to use these episodes to be able to teach as well as find out about the cool, fascinating entrepreneurs. So let's get into it. Let's talk about the next wave of the PPP and EIDL and what you are thinking about it what you want it to be, and what you can do to help people understand more about it. Okay. I know people might listen to this at different times. So we are recording this in early January of 2021. And the new Relief Act is fairly new off the press and just getting figured out. And this round, the second round of PPP, although some people would argue it's the third round, is just rolling out. I think the first sort of big thing about PPP is that it's not for everybody this time. So the first time around of PPP, you really had to be almost crazy not to take it. We didn't know what was going to happen to the world. Everything was entirely unpredictable. And there was this pile of free money sitting there. Now, many businesses have sadly been decimated through all this, and some of them have shut down. And this round of PPP is for them. Many other businesses hung in there or survived or figured out how to reinvent themselves or all this. And this round of PPP probably is not for them. So 
to get it, you have to prove that you have a 25% gross receipts reduction in one quarter of this year compared to the same quarter of last year, or in aggregate in 2020 compared to 2019. So that's the first criteria. That's the criteria to get it. And then if you meet that criteria, the next question you have to ask yourself is, do you need it to survive? And remember that you're signing that, and remember that your name's going to be on the wall for taking the money. And different people will think about that with different levels of emotion, and I'm not judging anybody, but I do think it's important to take pause and just think about all of that. Some businesses, unequivocally, it's already too late. They need the money. Many other businesses, not so sure. Right. So on that, the first round of PPP was like the wild, wild west. I think you may have even made mention of that. It was almost free money and lots of people applied for it that absolutely did not need it and they got it and they didn't give it back. And lots of people applied for it and needed it and didn't get it or their banks they thought would be supplying it and then they weren't. So there was just a mass chaos. And then this next round is a little more because we have the experience of the first one, right? It's going to be a little more well done, hopefully. Although it does seem like banks even with the first round, still aren't quite sure what's going on. And I think that stems from waiting for information. Is that correct, Ami? There's still some confusion, and there will be. These are enormous programs with vast degrees of complexity and hundreds of nuances and scenarios that people aren't thought of. And every day I get stopped by a couple of questions that I don't know the answers to. It's much better done than last time, but it's still going to be a myriad of complexities and issues and confusion. Do you think that the questions that you're stumped on now will be answered? And if so, when? Months? Weeks? I hope so over the next weeks. I mean, remember that usually when the government rolls out a new lending program, people have months to write the guidance and think about. There's bureaucrats who sit there and they think about this and that, and every scenario and every contingency, and they do decision maps and scenario planning. <laughs> They had no time for that the first round of PPP. They've had some time for it for the second round of PPP. But there's a lot of just unknown. I'll give you an example. Many businesses are eager to be classified as in the hospitality or restaurant or food delivery industry because they'll get three and a half months of help instead of two and a half months of help. Well, how's that based? How do you determine it? Well, the truth is it's based on your tax return. And your tax return has this business code. And if your business code, which is picked by you or probably picked by your accountant the first time they file your tax return and never thought about it again, well, what if your tax return is wrong? What if that code is wrong or you disagree with it? It's completely a self-reported issue by your accountant. And I've talked to about a dozen accountants and none of them have even dreamed about, they don't even know about a process to do an updated tax return to update a code. There's an example. Things are going to come up and some people are going to get stuck in the crosswires unintentionally. And it's just a sad reality of launching a program like this. That's really interesting. I had not thought about that code, but when you were talking about it, I realized that years ago when I began my business, my tax person wasn't sure how to put us down. And I think we're in like music and entertainment as if we're a record label or we have a venue, which we don't. So we provide talent to corporate events. 
And so I was just talking to Nancy Pelosi's office yesterday via the Goldman Sachs 10KSB. We were able to get time with three of her people in her office and talk to them about the impact that the impact that this pandemic has had on our small businesses. And I just happen to have a business that's adjacent to the venue and the restaurant industry. Yet my business won't qualify, even if I qualify my business as exactly what it is today. We don't have a venue and we are not a restaurant, but 80% of our live event industry is furloughed or laid off or permanent laid off or closed down. So I'm not really complaining. I'm just stating that there are a lot of people that fall through the cracks. And that number is an interesting tactic. If you are across the line. Maybe you had this space and it wasn't a venue, but now it is, and it has been for the last year. You need to have that number changed, correct? To get attention. And then how do you do that? And what's the process? So you do that. Well, now the IRS is completely backed up. We can't even get verification of 2019 tax returns for loans right now because the IRS is backed up because they're all working from home. So there's just all this back-end plumbing stuff that... It's the nature of the devil, and I get it. It's frustrating to some people, but just realize that everyone's working really hard and try to be patient with them. If you're an entrepreneur, want to be an entrepreneur, or growing or helping someone else become an entrepreneur, please follow me on both Instagram and Facebook. I can be found at Natasha Miller Entrepreneur on both platforms. You had mentioned in an email to me that you wanted also to talk about the provisions in the bill for SBA loans and their incentives and benefits. Can you speak to that a bit? Yeah, I think it's important that in addition to the PPP, many people just aren't going to be eligible for it. But don't just assume if you're not eligible for PPP, there's not something in there for you. If you wanted to get an SBA loan to grow, to expand, to restructure your debt or anything like that, there are incredible benefits for that. So all the fees are waived. And then for up to nine months, after your first six months of payments, you get the first $9,000 of your payments completely forgiven. So as an example, if you got a $350,000 SBA loan to grow and expand and hire some people, I think your savings on that are close to $32,000. So there are some really tremendous things. And it's really important, I think, to take note of them and understand them and see if those could help you. So is that something that people could reach out to multi-funding to know more about? Yeah, if you want to, no problem. You also have a couple of things. If you, I mean, you go to us, you go to your bank or whatever. If you have a existing debt and you want to restructure it, you get a 5% haircut on that debt. So there are really incredible opportunities and we're super excited. We're getting ready to launch a campaign called SBA Ignite. And the hook, our goal is we want to educate a million business owners and entrepreneurs about the SBA this year. That's incredible because as a business owner, I have actually talked to you about SBA loans and I considered that. That was pre-COVID. And now I'm interviewing you because I want to. I find you to be a very interesting person, but also you have a wealth of knowledge to share with a great group of entrepreneurs. So let's talk about that SBA loan. You just had said previously the SBA is really backed up. Is this part of the SBA that executes the the kind of... The IRS is backed up. The IRS. But SBA, you think, is more accessible right now or it is accessible? Well, you don't access the SBA through the SBA. You access it through an SBA lender. 
and there are about 2,200 of them. Now they're busy with PPP, but right. the right ones, the government's created great incentives for them to encourage them to make SBA loans as well. Great. And so this is a totally okay time to blow your own horn and just say what multifunding does and be able to receive all the people that are interested. So who should come to you and what can uh, they get? What we do in our core business is if you want help to get any kind of loan, what our mission is to explain things in English, make sure business owners and entrepreneurs understand where they fit into their debt markets what their options are, what the pros and cons are of the different approaches. We want them to understand exactly what they're getting into. And then if you choose to want our help, we hold your hand through the process. We package it up, your loan. We take it to a network of lenders that we've built. And if we get the loan closed, we get paid a commission, usually paid by the lender and the borrower doesn't pay anything. So we've been doing this for, this is our 11th year and we've, built an impeccable reputation and are completely passionate about helping business owners reach their greatest growth aspirations. And not all of that, but a big part of that is making sure you have the right capital structure to do it. And so how have you been able to, and what was your approach to scaling and growing your company during this time? I mean, you came out of the bat helping people. I remember that vividly. I helped you with a website to give people information about CPAs and CFOs and such. But what has happened to your business this year? Well, look, first and foremost, we realize and we continue to realize that we have a responsibility to educate. So each of us has sort of, I think, a unique skill. I think I have a unique skill to be able to explain complicated financial matters to people in English. And so we decided that our job was to just get in the forefront of making sure people were making thoughtful and good decisions about how to handle all these programs. And we launched daily aminars and series and community sites, and we were blowing our brains out. I mean, we're a fairly small company. And we got it all under control. We're kind of going through that again a little bit right now. We know better how to handle it. And at some point, I think in March, I was getting an email every second or something. It was like everyone I talked to in the last 20 years and their mother and their uncle <laughs> and their neighbor and their dog wanted to be our best friend all of a sudden. So and we didn't make any money educating people about the PPP, but we were fine with that. We didn't try broker the loans. We're not trying to broker them now. We just thought about that as our honor and our privilege to do that to the community. Now, has that had a halo effect on our brand? Sure. We had a great year. We closed a lot of loans. We got very involved in the Meat Street lending program. That was really hard to do. And we helped a bunch of people get those loans. And we made some nice money doing that. But our core service and value of serving that Main Street entrepreneur and making sure they were getting pointed in the right directions and making the best possible choices they could. It's just part of our DNA and who we are. I would assume, and let me know if this is true, that based on how much coverage you were able to basically spread yourself because you were on everything, you still are. I see you online. I see you on the Inc. magazine columns. I see you doing your aminars, which for listeners, that is Ami's way of saying webinar, which is awesome. Did you have to add quite a few people to your small team? We did. We grew. I think we started the year at six and we ended the year at 10 or 11. And I expect we'll grow again this year. But we did it thoughtfully and carefully and just did our thing. 
I'm wondering what multi-funding does for their own debt and your own financial structuring, or are you bootstrapping? We don't have any debt. <laughs> okay. But I also probably retrospectively made a bunch of decisions early on that I'm still cleaning up, but we don't have any debt. But you know where to go and what to Yeah, and we also have... Um, needed we it. Have, <laughs> it's interesting to you know, We're a very profitable business and... We don't have venture capitalists telling us what to do. Do you have people knocking at your door asking to acquire you and things like that? I ignore all those people. (laughs) I do too. Although someone did just say, if I were to give you $5 million right now for your business, what would you say? My answer on March 1st would have been no way. And my answer right now would be, hmm. I'm (laughs) consider that. I'm so glad that you talked about profit because that's the next question I had for you. A lot of people don't know what their industry averages are for gross profit or net income. I would say, do you know what yours is? But what is your industry's profit margin typically? I don't know. My industry is an anomaly. So, in the loan brokerage business, per se, what we do. There are many people who are like a one-man shop who do this locally in their community. Then there are these crazy, quote-unquote, fintech lenders who do this online and raise tons of money while they're baloney, who think I compete with them, which is a joke. And then there's us. And so our biggest competitor is somebody choosing to go to the back rather than trying to come and have us guide them through the process. So I don't know what benchmarks are. But if you are in an industry that benchmark data is more accessible, I certainly think it's a good idea to check it out and try. Yeah. So my follow-up question to that is what percent of revenue for your net would make your heart sing? So since you don't know your benchmark, which is many people don't, is there a number that would just make you ecstatic for that one piece? Yeah, 35%. Great. So I was talking to Josh Copel, who is a restaurateur in Los Angeles, San Diego, and I was devastated to hear the average of restaurants. I thought it was 10%. And he was like, oh, that's on the high end. It's like four to six. And my question to him is, why would anyone do it? Love, passion. Passion. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So thank you for answering that question. I know that profit and margins and money are a pretty challenging thing to talk about, but I think it's also something that is missing. We always are looking at revenue numbers. I've been very proud of revenue numbers, but the real story in how an entrepreneur is successful is really at the end of the day, what they get to take home, how they choose to spend it or use it is up to them. And again, at the start of my career, had I known what overhead costs would be, I mean, I had a million dollar payroll before March 16. And it didn't bother me because we had so much money coming in. But whoa, did last year really open my eyes to even more of what people need to do. Changed everything, right? It did. It did. Made us all grow up really fast. So this year, If you had to think of one specific strategy that you're really focusing on to take your business into this next year and potentially scale and grow it, is there one that comes to mind? Yeah, I don't want to travel anymore. I used to spend 70% of my life away and on airplanes. And Your dream of uh, a flight attendant 
had come true. You just didn't have to serve others. I don't want to live in, on American Airlines anymore. And it'll be interesting, not just for me, but for the world and for business. As the world does start to get back to more, quote unquote, normal, what will normal look like? So will we go back to our old habits and our old ways? Or will we stay in our what we've learned? And I think it'll be a combination of both. I mean, just to show some contrast to it, I have many friends who are shutting down their offices permanently. They figure we've learned to work from home. We can do it. People save their commutes. We want to save all that rent expense and this and that. We it's just a huge a savings, but at what cost? We don't yeah. know yet. We just signed a five-year lease for a brand new office. Yeah, congratulations. Am I crazy? I mean, right now I'm sitting here by myself, although people pop in and out of here during the days, and I'm like, what am I doing in this 3,600 square feet? <laughs> That's yeah. a lot of space. That's a lot of space. Um, well, hopefully it's at a, an incredible deal. It, and it came beautifully furnished and all the furniture was here, this and that. But it's not going to be black and white. I will be back on some airplanes, but I don't plan to be back on airplanes like I used to be. And you won't need to. So you and I are both involved in Entrepreneurs Organization, and I just got into the Global Speaker Academy, which I was very excited about, but it's in Miami. Right. And I'm in San Francisco. And I hedged that they might do it virtually. And up until a couple of days ago, they were still doing it live, which they are, but they're allowing for the eight of the 32 that got in to do it virtually. So the drawback for me, of course, is not being able to really see people in person and really develop stronger relationships with them. And also I have to get up at, let's see, the course starts at 5 a.m. Pacific every day. But I find that virtual communication and virtual events can be really dynamic and very useful. And I feel like, you know, I've seen you a couple of times at the Inc. magazine events and such, and we get to talk and go out to dinner a little bit. But having a conversation with you these few times over COVID, I still feel connected. So just different. It's not that one's right or wrong. It's just different. And it'll be a combination of both. But I don't think the world's going to go back quite to what it was like. I think it'll take a few years for people to change their patterns back. And that would be for people that really love, that thrive. I mean, I don't know. I am very outgoing, but I'm introverted. I prefer to be alone. I prefer to be home. And for those of us that feel that way, virtual is amazing. Right. Right. It's just different for everybody. So we're nearing the end. And I'm wondering if there's anything that you wanted to share with people that we didn't cover because I wanted to make sure that you got all the information and all the teaching that you could do in the short time out to the listeners. I just try to stay positive. I know it's hard sometimes with such a difficult and fast-changing and confusing world, but try to stay focused on our missions and focused on our communities and our friends and our family and our employees and our teams and everything will pass. That was Ami Kassar from Multifunding. For more information about him, to get in touch with him so that you can find out more about how you can fund your business, go to our show notes. It's all there. Do you want to wow your best clients, build a stronger, longer lasting, and more profitable relationship? 
Do you have a trade show or summit that you need branded promo items to leave your mark? Entire Productions Marketing has the most beautifully curated items at various price points, and we don't make you click through thousands of ugly thumbnail images. Go to entireproductionsmarketing.com. For more information about me, go to my website, natashamiller.co. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you loved the show. If you did, please subscribe. Also, if you haven't done so yet, please leave a review where you're listening to this podcast now. I'm Natasha Miller, and you've been listening to Fascinating Entrepreneurs.